it's not just important to educate women on how to code, but you have to really change their perceptions so they feel like it's somewhere they belong. Back when computers were first introduced and, you know, the size of the room that I'm standing in, about 40% of engineers and computer scientists were women. The topic for today's podcast is Girls Who Code with Chrissy Ziccarelli. Unpacking Education is brought to you by Avid.org. Avid believes in seeing the potential of every student. To learn more about Avid, visit their website at avid.org. Welcome to Unpacking Education, the podcast where we explore current issues and best practices in education. I'm Rena Clark. I'm Paul Beckerman. And I'm Winston Benjamin. We are educators. And we're here to share insights and actionable strategies. Education is our passport to the future. Our quote today is from Rishma Saujani, founder of the nonprofit organization Girls Who Code. And here's the quote. Girls Who Code is building a pipeline of women in tech. One of the best ways to spark girls' interest is to share stories of girls who look like them. All right, Winston. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I'm taking away from this is this idea of real representation, not tokenism, because a lot of times you could put a picture up and say, oh, we got one. But is it really like, how are you building the systems so that people feel comfortable being there? And that takes more than one, right? Like, how are you really providing opportunity for multiple people to feel like they could truly be themselves while existing in a space that was not built for them. So I think it's a, a it's not just about telling the stories, but providing a real story that feels genuine because we can media can change the way a story feels, but providing genuine stories is, uh, is valuable. I think that's really important, Winston, that being genuine, um, people can see through that. And, um, you know, seeing is believing. So if you see something and, and that's me there, I could do that. That is such a powerful thing. And uh, I kind of feel like this is a process of defining what is possible for certain people who maybe didn't think they were part of that definition before. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm excited that we're going to dig into this a bit deeper. Um, and I would like to welcome our guest for today, Chrissy Ziccarelli. Welcome. Hi, it's great to be here. <laughs> And Chrissy is from Girls Who Code. She's the Senior Director, um, School and Community Programs. So welcome again. And if you could just take a moment to, for our listeners to introduce yourself, I'd really appreciate it. Of course. Um, so yeah, as you said, I am the Senior Director of School and Community Programs at Girls Who Code. I have been there for about seven and a half years, um, and we just turned 10. So that's a pretty... Strong tenure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Happy hey, birthday! No, well, actually, we just turned eleven. We just celebrated ten, oh. so oh, uh, we got it in right under the wire. But um, yeah, so for the majority of my time at Girls Who Code, I have been focused on our after-school clubs program, which runs from third grade all the way through twelfth grade. Uh, It functions as a pretty typical after-school model, um, usually in schools and libraries and community centers. And I do all of the work 
overseeing outreach and application and then supporting folks all the way through the school year or whenever their club cycle runs. Uh, So we have about 6,000 clubs in all 50 states and they all end up rolling up to me and my team. So it's really great work to see the the way that this really scalable and like it's our biggest program and how all the different ways that it shows up in each local community that decides to to implement our program. So you gave us a, a mini overview of what it is with this club program, but can you talk to a little bit more about how it was established? Uh, Girls Who Code as a whole? Yes, yes, yes. of course. Um, so Reshma is actually our founder, is a lawyer and a politician by trade. And when she was on the campaign trail back in, must have been 2011, 2012, she was in schools a lot and was touring computer labs and computer science classes and noticed that there were not many girls. And when she would go to tech companies uh, to speak and get endorsements, there were not a lot of women. And so when that campaign ended up ultimately not being successful. She couldn't stop thinking about this dearth of women that she saw working in technology and even in the pipeline to get into those jobs in technology. And so she didn't know anything about computer science herself and called on a lot of smart people, both working in education and in the tech industry. And they came up with a model that is now one of our uh, summer offerings that was an immersive experience where a classroom of 20 girls worked within a tech company to both learn the basics of computer science and also understand what it really meant to work as a computer scientist within a a for-profit company or within a startup. Um, And then they found that the really the strongest thing was the network that those 20 students built with each other. Um, And so then out of that built, flourished all of the different programmatic models that we have and Girls Who Code. So that's what's been going on for the last 11 years. Wow. That, that, that's a lot of purposeful driven action, right? Like you have, Mm -hmm. you see, you saw something, but something that I, a lot of times, like we said earlier with this idea of like tokenizing, in your in your vision and mission statement, you have clearly on your website to where. So I just have a question about holding yourself accountable and why this is important for you to have mm-hmm. this statement on your um, on on your website, which says girls who code is on a mission to close the gender gap in technology and to change the image of what a programmer looks like and does. Mm-hmm. I just have a question. Why is it so important to for that to be such a bold statement? that anyone can see and, and call you on, if, if that makes sense in terms of the, the question mm-hmm. that I'm asking. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly the second half about yeah. the image of what a programmer does. Yeah. yeah. Well, back when computers were first introduced and you know, the size of the room that I'm standing in, about 40% of engineers and computer scientists were women. And when oh, wow. the personal computer was marketed to the mass public, they made the decision to market it to men. And so you see, along with the rise and adoption of the personal computer, there was a decline in the number of women that were working in that workforce. It's like it's happened in a couple of different industries. Like wow. pharmacists primarily used to be men. My mom's a pharmacist, so I know this. And it, and slowly over time, the 
the profession got overtaken by women. It's kind of the inverse of what happened. Um, so because the image of who uses computers and who computers are for um, really led the change in the makeup of the workforce in terms of gender, we feel like it's not just important to educate women on how to code, but you have to really change their perceptions so they feel like it's somewhere they belong. Mm. Um, and more importantly, we also feel like we don't want our entire mission to be about educating girls because particularly for our high school and college age students, they already have the knowledge. It's more about believing in themselves and feeling like they're belonging rather than saying, you don't know this, let us teach it to you. Mm-hmm. We start from the the space that is like, you do know this and you are capable of it. And here are ways that you can find that connection or see yourself or see your interest in whatever industry you want to be in using technology. I appreciate that you were able to delineate like for younger kids and also for Mm -hmm. the adults who are in the game, right? Like a young Mm -hmm. person who's already been pushing through would feel minimized if you spoke to them in that way. So I appreciate Mm -hmm. the way you validate that. Yeah. When you work with uh, eight-year-olds all the way to 24-year-olds, you have to be able to distinguish a little bit on what each population, what each age group needs. Mm -hmm. You know, that's an interesting um, segue to my question, because you mentioned uh, the after school program, which Mm kind of targets a certain age group. Um, What are maybe some of the other programs and opportunities provided by Girls Who Code? What's kind of the arc of of what you offer? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the clubs that I mentioned, I said, start in elementary school. By far, they're the most popular and widespread in middle schools. That's really the audience they were initially designed for. And we found that it's where they've really found found their home, kind of. There are lots of high schools that are also implementing clubs successfully and doing really exciting things with the with the model they're not just you know learning from a teacher they're oftentimes going out into the community and finding elementary school students and helping them start their own clubs and things like that um, but outside of our clubs we have we still have that summer immersion program that our company was founded on um, so we have about 75 classrooms that run each summer. It's now a two-week virtual experience for high school age students, so rising ninth through 12th graders. And they get to do a couple of different, design a couple of different projects, learn about web design, AI, machine learning, cybersecurity, and then also get to hear from speakers at some of our corporate partners um, and get to know each other. We have a self-paced version of that program as well, um, because we found that the the commitment of being on Zoom all the time or just, you know, people have different needs over the summer. So we have an asynchronous version of our summer programming um, that is available as well. And then for college-age students, we have College Loops, which is sort of like our clubs. They run throughout the school year, but they're a peer-led model, so the the college loops elect a president and a leadership board, and they are a little bit more self-directed in determining what activities they do. And then we have a set of workforce programs. So we have, and they're for college through early career students. So we have a hiring summit that's like a virtual interview hiring summit um, that you would see in person. We have a technical interview prep program, and then we have a couple of other speed networking, mentoring, um, and like leadership development programs as well for folks that are in that like late college, early career 
area. So trying to support everyone at the right stage throughout the the pipeline. That's awesome. I had, I had no idea that you covered such a wide, wide group of people. That's, that's impressive. Cool. It is. It's a lot. Yeah, no, it's great. And I, I actually had a girls who's code coding club in fifth grade. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. I'm familiar with that age, kind of the verge of middle school. And mm-hmm. I didn't really know about all of your programs you're doing for, you know, up to 24 year olds. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. it's good to hear that there's a lot more opportunities for girls going forward. Mm-hmm. And then thinking back to your mission and how this whole thing got started, what does success look like for girls who code? Or do you have a success story that you could share? Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We always joke that we're trying to work ourselves out of a job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know that that will happen in my my tenure with the organization, but it's a dream (laughs) that we all have. And we talk a lot, you know, we have metrics that we look at. We, in particular, are looking by 2030, so in the next seven years, um, helping to close the gender gap in entry-level tech jobs um, through through our programming, which is really exciting. Um, But in terms of success stories, what's really exciting, we have on the team that supports our college and career programming, so all of those early workforce opportunities, we have a council of different uh, members who identify as alumni from our programming. Some of them did clubs in middle school and stuck with it. Some of them just joined us in college. Um, But there are two members of that alumni council that didn't have any computer science education outside of their Girls Who Code clubs that they did throughout high school. And they're both now majoring and on track to graduate with computer science degrees. Mm. Um, So it's always really like heartening to hear that we not only sparked someone's interest, but that they felt and were prepared to enter a college major or college track, um, continuing to explore the interest that we ignited in our after-school program. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just want to let that breathe for a second because that's so powerful to actually Mm -hmm. like work within and outside of the system at the same time, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's really subversive and trying to push on equity. So there's something, you, you mentioned this earlier that you're technically in your 11th year, but you just uh-huh. celebrated your 10th anniversary. So did you be yeah. just want to give a big shout out to the 10th anniversary? What, what? Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> Thank <Woo>. you. <laughs> right. We just want to say that. But um, we know that in order to celebrate, you'd hosted a three day um, code fair. And um, could you just tell us, an audience, just a little bit about that? Um, what was it? How did it go? And how was the, just the celebration of the 10 years? My gosh. Um, Code Fair was like nothing I had ever seen before. (laughs) Um, We rented a really beautiful space and essentially constructed a museum, interactive experience with a bunch of different exhibits that were co-designed and co-created with a couple of our partners. Um, So there was a place where you could take a photo of your aura and get all of the hex codes and learn how to build a filter with it. There was an 
activation where you could listen to plants growing through like the technology and the planter that they were in. We had a metaverse disco. There were just, I think, eight or nine different activations where you just got to go walk into this room and this experience and like interact with technology and art and all these Mm. other cool like topics and things that you wouldn't necessarily put together. Um, So it was super exciting. We had some of the, uh, all of the alumni that were on our alumni council that I mentioned earlier were able to attend. We did workshops for some of our clubs that were able to come from New York and even further. We had one club come from Chicago all the way to Manhattan. We had uh, some of our volunteers came out from all across the country. Um, It was really awesome. I think nearly 3,000 people came over the course of three days to walk through this museum slash experiential tech exhibit that we were able to build. It was really cool. That's dope. And like you could see the joy on your face. I know our audience won't be able to see the joy on your face, but I'm going (laughs) to describe just right. Exactly. The, the way you talk about the positive of that experience is so Mm -hmm. catching. So I appreciate your hearing it. Well, and we realized, you know, schools have been back in person for a while, but our programming moved online and the, you know, our clubs is our biggest program, but it's also sort of the most um, decentralized Mm -hmm. where I support a lot of volunteers, but it's always been virtual. And sometimes we get to meet them in person, Mm -hmm. but a lot of our other programs that had been really like personal and market-based and we saw them all the time haven't come back have remained online and so it was the first time for some of us in three years that we were meeting with students and teachers face to face um so it was like really powerful i think for everybody that's awesome yeah sounds like it so if people are listening because i'm getting excited about this (laughs) so if our listeners are getting excited like i am and I want to get involved in this. I want I want to connect my kids to Girls Who Code. Mm-hmm. What should they know? How can they get involved? What's what's that about? Yeah, definitely. I think the the place that most of your listeners could find us would be through our clubs. So you can go to girlswhocode.com. We have a page where you can search by zip code or put in your address and see if there are any clubs near you. If not, you can start one. Um, our clubs All of our programming, by the way, is free to start, free to run. Um, So finding a local club or starting one is a great place to start. And I believe the application period for our summer programs are over, but we are um, might still have a classroom or two getting added. So you can put your name on the wait list uh, for high school age students. And then that self-paced asynchronous version that I mentioned, we also run that during the school year. So you can get on our newsletter list for announcements about that when that is happening. Um, and then, yeah, check out our workforce page too if you have any college age folks who are looking for uh, just that little leg up in terms of job seeking. So if they go to your website, pretty much everything they need is going to be there. On the programs page. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So you've accomplished so much, I feel like, with just now 11 years, mm-hmm. just from an idea, something central. And, you know, we're over here in Seattle and we've got, you're over in New York and we've got Girls Is Code over here. It's mm-hmm. spread, it's nation and national. So I'm just curious, what's next for Girls Who Code? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think 
if you ask Reshma, our founder, she would say world domination. <laughs> it's always the answer. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's a good goal. <laughs> you know, we get the greatest ideas for new programs from all kinds of places. So I think keep like anything is possible in keeping our ear to the ground. I know we've said in our first 10 years, we served half a million students. And in our next 10 years, we'd like to reach a million more. So that feels pretty ambitious. So I think that's where we're, we're setting our sights for our next 10 years. Well, based on the energy that you're communicating here, mm-hmm. I think you can do it. Thank you. <laughs> the odds are in your favor. There, <laughs> there's a roadmap, there's a plan, but I think really the energy is what yeah gets us there day by day. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, we're going to hop into our next segment, which is our toolkit. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Hey, Winston, what's in your toolkit today? So as I was looking around trying to think about like what would be something good, I realized that we had done a couple of things and talked about Scratch, which is from MIT. It's a really cool program. But the nerd in me nerded out, right? They have a book. Star Wars coding project using a guy, a step-by-step guide for your own coding of animation games and simulation using Scratch's platform. So I almost went crazy, lost myself. It was such a great idea because I'm a, a nerd and I've always wanted to make an R2, R2-D2 in my life. So I'm going to jump on this. So I recommend trying that out. <laughs> hey, Winston, did you know when I was at the um, ISTE conference, mm-hmm. they had the real R2-D2 there? Oh, my God. First of all, and with- go ahead, Rena. Oh, I was like, were you at the Museum of Flight yes. like two weekends ago? Okay, I was there. Yeah, there, I was there this weekend. It had I, they had a whole bunch of R two D twos. They had a whole entire simulation. They had all <laughs> yeah, it was the like droids. All the builders. Yo, I I took pictures. Said my sister, we have plans of going together to try to do some stuff. So yeah, I know the trick. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm gonna stop being. being I'm gonna <laughs> stop being a little kid right now. I'm gonna stop trail. being a little kid and excited. I think to code. that's the thing, though. You find something you're passionate about, and even as you know, we talked about this blending of art and technology and when you find that joy that's when you can really make things happen and that's how i want work to be like you should find joy in what you do but i actually love the book so you didn't talk about because there's a lot of girls who code books um out there and even with some of my young readers or my own daughter there's uh, you know access to these books that just intro are kind of another way um you can kind of see the social aspects of technology as well in a good positive way. So yeah, the books. Well, and obviously the website, right? Girlswhocode.com. Got to go there. And if, if people are interested in, in coding and computer science, you know, you can go check out some of our past uh, website or podcast episodes as well. We've had, um, Guests on from Girls Who Game, Mission Math Minds. We had an amazing mm-hmm. sophomore in high school who started Mission Math Minds to get more girls involved in math and coding. Uh, Microbit, uh, Winston mentioned Scratch, Wonder Workshop. There's there's so many great ones out there. But we do want to hand it over to Chrissy. What would you like to stick in the toolkit? Mm, uh, I would say timers. I would go back to basics. I feel like it's been really powerful for me to try and 
multitask and really dedicate my full attention to something um, and just use different timers, even just like on my phone. I have one on my phone um, where it senses when you flip it over. So for 20 minutes, just leaving my phone face down. And it's amazing what you can accomplish in that Mm -hmm. amount of time and get into like a flow state. So that's been kind of the thing that I've been using the most in my own, my own work. Cool. And believe it or not, we made a set of timers that you can access off YouTube or Vimeo. They're video timers. You can embed them like in Google slideshows and things like that too. The best. (laughs) It's so, it's so much easier for classroom management, training, everything. When You can say two minutes and be held visually accountable Mm -hmm. and have a cat meow at the end of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What's better than that? (laughs) Much better than my morning alarm. (laughs) Says. Or R2-D2. Yeah. (laughs) Listen, don't get me excited. I'm going to jump into into the episode soon. It's time for that one thing. So next thing that we got is our one thing. A lot of times what's still rounding around your mind, popping where it's going to create a conversation later on. What's something that's still rumbling around? Rena, what's what's your one thing? I just love when Chrissy kept talking about the way they serve, I would say, not girls from young age to old, but the message is always the same. You are capable Mm. and you belong. Mm. Paul, what are you thinking? Well, after I got over the Metaverse Disco, which really got me excited because it, it took me back to my disco dance lessons I had in fifth grade. You know, I was like, I was going to groove to stay, staying alive here with John Travolta. <laughs> uh, beyond that, it was just the, the broad range of, of people that are served by, by the organization. I was not aware of that, and I think that is super cool. So I'm going to jump before I pass it to Chrissy, but the thing that stuck with me is that how for, uh, you said 40% of mm-hmm. like 40% of the population of, of working population in computers when it was a giant room were women. And as soon as we marketed it for men, that completely changed. So going back to your point about the value of images and knowing who and going into Rena's point about belonging, that's so important that like, I didn't know that I didn't know. And I just wanted to continue to pass that message on, like just know that there's more information out there for you to be aware of. So I'm gonna pass it off to you, Chrissy. What's something that's still in your head that you're like, hmm, I would love the audience to keep thinking about as we move forward. Yeah, I'm thinking a lot about something we talk about in our programming for high schoolers and college age students, which is cultural capital. And a lot of times we see, you know, students that go through our pipeline really do have the technical knowledge to succeed, but they don't know when you're supposed to look for internships and how getting a job works or what a technical interview is. And it's not that they can't ace those interviews or secure those jobs. And so in addition to that image part, there's also the the value of having a social network that can share some of that unofficial information that you only learn once you've been through it. Mm. And so I like to feel like we're kind of like a big sister to everyone that is going through um, and trying to learn more and get a job or just even explore coding. So that's something that I think about all the time and has been bouncing mm. around in my head this conversation. 
Mm. And that information, I think, is just so important. So mm-hmm. I like it. Cultural capital. Well, Chrissy, I know I've really appreciated having you on today and learning, like as Paul mentioned, like more than I ever knew before. And you know, remember, our listeners, you can go to go- girlswhocode.com for more information. But again, thank you so much for sharing your message and story with us. And maybe we'll talk to you again some, you know, on your 20th celebration. That would be great. <laughs> Don't <laughs> <right>. be strangers. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Unpacking Education. We invite you to visit us at avidopenaccess.org, where you can discover resources to support student agency, equity, and academic tenacity to create a classroom for future-ready learners. We'll be back here next Wednesday for a fresh episode of Unpacking Education. And remember, go forth and be awesome. Thank you for all you do. You make a difference.